HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was a Our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away. And then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, my regards to the family. I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the worst. Oh my God, that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Lou Bank. I'm Chapati One. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps green gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And today I think that we are doing something that we should have done a long time ago, Lou. Oh, it's something I still wish we weren't doing, but you keep going. <laughs> well, like, I think we've done a bunch of extremely specific episodes, a bunch about a lot of things that people don't really care about. And yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. I mean, we did one about rocks, and that's that has been our best performing episode ever, which just drives me crazy to this Every day. single week, like another 150, 200 people download that episode. The rocks, so weird. where we analyze the different types of rocks that are used for doing that tapada. Again, like probably one of the most useless episodes we've ever done. I love it, but I think it's very useless for the grand majority of uh, of people in this planet. But we've never done episodes focusing on specific agave species. And then within that, like touch upon their varietals. But we've never done an episode about the cupriatas and gustifolias. And in this case, the one that I want to start kickstart this with is salmiana. 
Okay, so I, I got to tell you, it fe- like the th- the reason that I have been so resistant to this idea is it feels to me like we're trying to do an uh, like an issue of National Geographic. So, like. You're going to be talking about these spe- this specific species. I'm going to be trying to figure out how to not make this the most boring thing in the world. Go. Oh, no, not at all. Like, I, th- <laughs> I think actually the, the the way to do this, and because neither you or I are taxonomists or biologists or forestal engineers. Hey, I, I thought we did pay our taxes. We're not taxonomists? No, we're not. Oh. Even, even, even if we pay our taxes, we are not oh. taxonomists. Uh, I think that it's just like maybe... More than trying to make a tremendously um, careful dissection of each agave, like I think that it's just like more like a collection of anecdotes or experiences that we've had around those agaves. Because, for example, Salmiana for me is a rather new thing. And I think for a bunch of agave spirits enthusiasts, it's not necessarily the agave that you start drinking or the first one that excites you. Huh. What? Hmm. It was honestly, when I think about agaves that excited me, I have never tasted a Salmiana that didn't excite me. I, I'm saying that, yes, and I agree with that now, yeah. but okay. it's for the first 10 years of my drinking adventure of agave spirits, Salmiana was not in the picture. Oh, fair enough. And I think that would be even more accurate when you're talking about the general public, sure. Exactly. So, and and I think that that is weird to me, given that incredible significance that this agave has had in Mexican history or the history of the Americas. For once, they it is the main agave used to make pulque. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think that the earliest documentation that exists of Salmiana for human consumption is 2,000 years before Christ, when it was used as food. So this is probably what is, one. What, wait, wait, hang on a second. I want to flag that. Well, what does that documentation look like? Is that in somebody's cookbook? Uh, like, is well, there is there a Julia Child cookbook <laughs> that goes back to two thousand BC? Well, the 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 one. Uh, okay, so. Oh, no, it's actually pulque. It has been estimated that pulque made of agave mapizaga, agave americana, agave atrovirens, and agave salmiana, so not only salmiana, was consumed approximately 2,000 years before Christ. And this is by Escalante and Al, uh, 2016 paper. Uh, maybe we can find the... Wait, did you see? Do you say Escalante and Al? Like he's got a friend named Al? Uh, no, it's a, it's a way in which you, when you write bibliography means and many other authors. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So, but you don't but you don't know what that actually looks like, right? Like, is it a drawing? Is it like one of these these drawings on a cave wall? I think uh, what I've seen in terms of documenting when humans first started eating agave or when they started first consuming it as pulque is they found pits where they will cook it. So you can find, I mean, it's... So there'd be uh, little, little bits of the cook from that long no, ago. No, so they're pits. doing like the carbon... Pits. pits. Yeah. The so, pits that they're cooking it in. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. So th- so you're finding some kind of a piece of old old cooked agave in that pit and Char- uh, doing like a carbon dating it? Maybe, yes. Like I actually have not... I, I read this <laughs> like two years ago, so I'm not tremendously sure of what was the methodology to, to assure this. I have a theory, Java. Oh, Lord. Okay. My theory is, 
like the guys who did that, who went and found that uh, that that Orno and and went down to the bottom of it, like dug it out because clearly it had been buried in or everything would have rotted or been eaten. Right. And they dug it out. They excavated it and they found that little piece of of old, old cooked agave. And then they said, oh, we got to go carbon date that like those are the guys you want to be doing podcast episodes with. Not me. Those are the guys who are like, oh, man, those are the super geeks. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I think that unfortunately I have better things to do <laughs> doing a agave road trip. But uh, but I mean, like, it's just crazy for me how long has these agaves, and again, it's not only Salmiana, but Salmiana also, like, remembering conversations we had with our friend Dr. Pulque, Gonzalo, <laughs> uh, yeah, best, best kid ever, he claims that it's one of the most heavily domesticated agaves that are in existence or still have a relationship with humans today. So they're sort of our French poodles of the agave world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Was he saying that in terms of the amount of time it's been domesticated? Yes, and the amount of influence oh, yeah, okay. that humans have had on its morphology. And just, uh, I think we talked about this at some point, that even they have less... I mean, I can see those behind you and those are, uh, well, you have a Zoom background <laughs> where there's some Salmianas behind you. And it's so clear that they have less thorns for square uh, from like... I, I, yeah, yeah I, I get you. How like old do you say thorns, that in English? <laughs> I, the, the I would lot. just say it has fewer thorns per, per inch, per linear inch. Merci. There you go. Exactly yeah. that. So, and, oh. that's, and that was selected in their behavior. So I... I, I think that's that's just fascinating. And also that this whole area of El Bajío. Are you familiar with what El Bajío is, Señor Lu? I am not. So you know how lately you've been traveling a lot through the Guanajuato, San Luis, Zacatecas area? <laughs> yeah, just don't flag that to the cartels. Apparently, they don't like people like me driving through Zacatecas anymore. Well, people in general, but they all this area, just as La Mixteca or La Huasteca, in, Me in Mexico, we have all these geographical regions that are mm -hmm. not necessarily defined by their political borders, but they're more oh, like sure. cultural areas that share yeah. certain amount of things. So yeah, El Bajío, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Midwest, I guess, will be the equivalent in the, the U.S. of A, you know? Or the Driftless region, something that's defined by nature and how it affected the land. And culture, too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. So... El Bajío, it's, uh, to my eyes, the area that most heavily uses Salmiana for spirits. And I think yeah. that that's a whole identity that we're just, like, starting to understand. And also, I mean, this is also one of your favorite things to point out, that historically there was a good chance that Salmiana will have been the tequilana beber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that as you drive around Guanajuato, San Luis Potosí, you see these haciendas that have these giant stone ovens that clear, like, they, they look to me like in the 17 and 1800s, but let's focus on the 1700s because that's crazy. They had the capacity to cook as much agave in these giant stone ovens um, as most tequila factories have today. 
Using modern technology. It's crazy to me. I'm using modern technology. And they have cheaper labor than contemporary <laughs> yeah, tequila, well, and, uh, which is, which is uh, the dark side of this. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that, that, that was, I mean, we have to acknowledge that haciendas were built and were operated on abuse and yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. yeah, just extremely harsh conditions. But what is impressive is they were pumping out literally millions of liters of Salmiana. Something that, I mean, I was just saying the, the numbers of these years uh, on Mezcal, they say mm-hmm. that if it was fortunate, it uh, it didn't even get to 9 million liters, right? Or did they haven't checked that at all? Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't say I haven't checked it. It's that I don't remember it, but that sounds right to me. Yeah. So it was like one, just, I can pull it up. Yeah, sure. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't okay. matter. We'll, well, put it well, in the, we'll put it in the notes. I guess the, the point here is that Salmiana was capable of fascinating the palates of a significant amount of Mexicans and Spaniards and foreigners that were here in the 17, 1800s. And somehow it disappeared. It just, it just, it just went under the rug and we don't know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> they're theories. But, you know, you're, you're saying it, um, it interested the palates of them. And I, I, I read this book uh, called And a Bottle of Rum. Um, that's about the history of rum. And one of the things that uh, that the author points out <laughs> is that people drank a lot of liquor, not because it was delicious, but because it was the only safe thing to drink. Like the water back then, you didn't know if it was going to kill you or not. And, but, and it where, tasted where was, ju- but where was this? In the Europe? In the Europe's? No, no, no. This was primarily in the USA. Oh, yeah, and um, and it's one of the theories is they started creating cocktails because the liquor tasted so awful. You needed to add something to it. My point being, you know, if you're alive in the the early 1800s and you don't have all of these um, uh, antibiotics to keep you from dying, you're just going to want to put something out of something that helps you uh, get out of your misery, and that would be alcohol. Well, I'm I not mean, saying that it tasted bad. Again, I've never tasted a salmiana that I didn't at least like. Yeah, and, and and I I guess like I fully disagree with like making a parallel with that in the realities of Mexico at the time. I I don't think we were like in which areas of the U.S. is he talking about? Like, was it definitely was not Chicago because you had crazy access to clean water in Chicago, right? Uh, I would have guessed so, but no, my my recollection is it was the Northeast where you would have assumed that it that they had great great access, access to, to water. water. Yeah. Well, Okay. I mean, that, that, that sounds slightly weird to me. I was finding these documents the other day about, so I think like that's another interesting thing about the uh, the history of Salmiana, that I think in the whole Bajio, you had two basic uh, approaches to mezcal. One that was the Hacienda mezcal, which is uh-huh. what you are describing with the yeah. massive hornos, yeah. with the massive infrastructure, with the half a million liters a year per Hacienda. Yeah. And then you had what you call like mezcal de rancho, and mm-hmm. that I think is very much represented uh, these days by Campanilla. If you guys are not familiar with Campanilla, I will aggressively recommend you to try it. It's some of the best mezcal I've, I've ever tried. And it's very different to your in the style, right? This is more uh, Palenque or uh, I don't even know how com- <laughs> the Campanilla kids call, call their space. I think Fabrica, but I wouldn't swear to it. No, I'm pretty sure because Fabrica is the Hacienda style. I'm pretty sure they call uh-huh. their spaces differently, but I, I I wouldn't be able to to swear on that. But they are similar or they're closer to a small pal- 
palenque that you will find in in Oaxaca, right? And they use clay pots. Sure. They use the most insane alambics that, uh, to my eyes, exist in Mexico, right? Because they do, they don't let the alcohol go out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, you know, we've you and I have had this conversation about internal capture. To me, that's the real internal capture. It never leaves until you. Stop the distillation. And I, I've tried to explain this with words a thousand times. I was very happy the last time I saw them because they had made a T-shirt where they printed a <laughs> cot, uh, how do you call that in English? Like a cot view. Uh, yeah. yeah. like We, we a call it the visible man. Yeah. No, a slice. A sl- yeah, it's the visible man view. Yeah. Bis- invisible or visible? Visible man. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. So they had done that so people could, could understand it. And I think they, they, they produce some of the best Almiana out there. Yeah, yeah. No no argument. And in fact, the, the matriarch of the family, Maria, like, hers, like her spirits blow me away every time I have them. Well, one of the families, because there are about five families there. Oh, I always took her to be the matriarch over the whole town, no? No, 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 no. There's about, I can't remember if that's why each bottle has different colors. Each label has different colors. So each one of them are different families. So I've tried a bunch of Daniel's Navarro, which I found very amazing. So Maria is the mother of Manuel, who is a absolute maniac, does crazy stuff. He has an ensemble of Maximiliana and Gustifolia and Salmiana that is out of this world. Very pretty. Uh, so yeah, no, they're all different families. Okay, so how do we get back to Salmiana from this? Well, uh, I think the other, the, the final annotation that uh, that I would like to add to this is uh, that also in Campanilla, they were the first kids that I took a walk with them to the fields, and they were pointing to me the many varietals that are within the Salmiana, right? So, which is on- which is interesting because we talk about that when we, you know, when we talk about something like Karwinski. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but to your point, we never really talk about well, it with well, Salmiana. Actually, that that is fascinating because in Karwinski, you only have popular names to the varietals. You don't Ooh. have Karwinski variedad. I mean, there are a few, Ooh. but would you like tell me which is the var- the scientific name of the barril? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. I guess I don't know it, but I always assumed that there was a different name. Uh, I think scientifically, uh, that's and if anybody has uh, says like <laughs> understands that I, that I'm very wrong, but I, I think that's one of the most frustrating things about about Karwinski's in general that you don't have a lot of the a lot of the popular names be reflected in scientific names to distinguish the varietals, but in Salmiana you have them. You have oh. Mapisaga, you have Crasispina, you have. Uh, Many others that in their popular names are things like Cuerno. Uh, I can't remember others right now. Uh, I think, actually have them here. Just give me a second. Chalqueño, Manso, Ayoteco, Tepesorra, Gilometro, Prieto, Mantecón. Roy, could you turn this into a rap? Keep going, Chava. No, no, could you just no, turn no, this no, into no, a rap for no, me no, or do like an auto-tune kind of thing? Roy's going to do something terrible. Don't hear him. Don't listen to him. Uh, I mean, there, there's a bunch. So I think that that is another extremely exciting thing about Salmiana, that if you try the one Salmiana that you found nice, you have a, a landscape as vast as the Karawinskis. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. 
I like that. And the final annotation to that is that because all of these agaves are used to making pulque, you could possibly also have that same experience with pulque. And you remember mm-hmm. we've tried to do this experiment. We even did an episode like trying to suggest this, but we finally, uh, in our last trip, were able to buy a bunch of different pulques of different species and varietals. Yeah, though that was like, it was a fail. It was a fail in the end, I would argue, because there's something that happened. It doesn't always happen, but there's something that happened specifically with that pulque that I think had to do with the way that we stored it in the car um, in the ice chest where everything tasted so sulfury by the time we got back to the city. The only way to consume pulque is right there. I Hard disagree. Hard disagree. Because I I think about the Bruto uh, pulque that we got from the La Luna guys when we were visiting them, and that was in the car for a week, and it was great. And then I think about the stuff that I get from Reina in in Santiago Matatlan that she ages for nine months in a wooden barrel, and it's delicious. Yeah, hard disagree. But anyways, we're not... Oh, I I can't believe that. I disagree with you disagreeing with me. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, I think this is is a deadlock, and I think this should end here. (laughs) Okay, so do we have a conclusion about Salmiana? Can it be just that it's delicious and you should drink it? Yes. I'm I'm happy to go by that. Happy to abide to that conclusion. (laughs) Excellent. Finally. Okay, Chava, I'll catch you next episode. Chido. Wow. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.